It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So, Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Hey y'all, today I am excited to take you back down to our hometown of New Orleans, Louisiana to explore the haunted history of a place that honestly, I didn't really know a lot about, but my sister likes to find some of those obscure ones and she definitely did that today with the old Carrollton Jail. So go ahead and get excited for a trip down to the Crescent City. But when we're done here, I wanna invite you to go check out the Homespun Haints podcast. Just a little over a week ago, I joined the hosts, Becky and Diana, for a pretty entertaining discussion on some of my favorite stories, including Julia Brown's Voodoo Curse, Fiddler's Rock, and the infamous Madame Delphine LaLaurie, because as I'm now realizing, I can't go on any podcast without getting asked something about voodoo or LaLaurie. But that's okay. These are certainly things that Brienne and I have spent a lot of time researching, and we even mentioned LaLaurie today. So go check out Homespun Haints wherever you get your podcasts. Becky and Diana are a lot of fun, and I laughed my butt off hanging out with them. I also want to let you know about this kind of last-minute opportunity that came up for y'all to come on down to Franklin, Tennessee, and see me this summer. My friend and co-host on the Ghost Tour podcast, Alicia King Marshall, has asked me to fill in on some dates for her grim and ghostly walking tour through historic downtown Franklin. Well, Of course I agreed, and I figured I'd tell y'all about it so you could come out if you're interested. The dates of the tours I'll be leading are on our website at southerngothicmedia.com, and you can book those dates over at Franklin Walking Tours. There are a handful this month, some weeknights, and at least one weekend when I'll be out there, 
And just so y'all know, this is a different tour than that long Southern Gothic one that I had a few months ago. Although we will go by a handful of the same locations, this one is pretty much what I'd call a traditional ghost tour. Not as much of that heavy history and all of that. And unfortunately on this tour, it's not long enough to make it all the way out to the cemetery. Sorry guys. But that being said, the Grim and Ghostly Tour is probably a little more appropriate for folks who just want to dip their toe into the haunted history of Franklin, rather than all of y'all hardened ghost hunters that are listening now. Of course, if you do decide to book a tour, shoot me a message with the date, and I will be sure to bring along a few Southern Gothic stickers. So with that, let's head on down to New Orleans and talk a little bit about the context of today's story. Now, growing up in a place, you don't always necessarily get a sense for how the city or town developed historically. You kind of just know it the way it was when you're there. And today's story takes place in what I knew of as the part of town known as Carrollton, one of several historic neighborhoods of New Orleans. The land itself had previously been part of the McCarty Plantation, whose most notorious family member was Marie Delphine McCarty. And for those of you who have been paying attention, Y'all know her better by her married name, Madame Marie Delphine LaLaurie. Y'all know the place in the French Quarter, that mansion that caught fire and became enshrined in the lore of the city due to the horrific treatment of those enslaved people that were inside the walls. Well, for Carrollton, it was in 1833, a year prior to that fire, that the area was laid out by German surveyor and civil engineer Charles Zimpel. He had the intention that it would be an entirely separate town neighboring New Orleans. The new village was named Carrollton in honor of William Carroll, who served as the major general of the Tennessee militia and was encamped on the McCarty land prior to the American defense of New Orleans against the British during the Battle of New Orleans in 1814. In its first decade as a community, Carrollton remained predominantly rural, and its growth was stifled by a reduction of trade through New Orleans and a national economic crisis that saw many hesitate to purchase land. So it came as something of a surprise that, at a village meeting in February 1843, the citizens of Carrollton petitioned the state legislature for incorporation. A newspaper article following this decision complained about the loss of this rural vicinity where many actually went for relaxation. Either way, the petition for the town of Carrollton was formally granted on March 10th 1845. A town census two years later recorded a population of 1,032 people, including 478 white males, 361 white females, 69 free people of color, and 124 enslaved people. just as that newspaper had opined in 1843, Carrollton grew, and soon enough, that rural community had city problems. Problems that required the construction of a prison to house numerous criminals, from murderers to thieves. And it's from this facility, now known as the Old Carrollton Jail, that a century-old legend has sprung stories told by police officers and prisoners alike that this long-gone institution was haunted by malevolent spirits of those who were once incarcerated there. 
My name is Brandon Schecksneider, and you're listening to Southern Gothic. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. On Saturday, October 21st, 1899, the New Orleans Times Democrat ran a unique article on page three under the heading, Real Ghost Story, The Old Carrollton Jail Said to be Haunted. The report claims, quote, by all odds, the most extraordinary and circumstantial ghost story in the annals of New Orleans, which is saying a good deal, comes from the old Ninth Precinct Jail, standing at the corner of Hampson short streets in Carrollton. It is not the usual neighborhood legend, distorted by travel from mouth to mouth, or the vague tale of some nervous old woman, but the plain, matter-of-fact statement of at least nine particularly level-headed and unimaginative men, all members of the police force, and accustomed by their calling to habits of observation. They tell what they saw and heard in a simple way, without advancing any theories. All testify to many strange and unaccountable occurrences. Four claim to have seen apparitions that vanished before their eyes. And one, an old and responsible officer, declares positively that he saw the ghost of a former commander of the station, now dead. It is certainly a case to puzzle the skeptical. The Times Democrat continues on to chronicle the eerie occurrences, primarily through the exact words of these officers in many instances quoting them directly. Sergeant William Clifton, the commander of the prison, told one particularly odd story. He claims that one evening, two gentlemen and a lady stopped by the facility to speak with him. Since Clifton's office was a sparsely furnished room, the woman was forced to lean against the wall to make herself comfortable as the men sat in conversation. But upon doing so, she was immediately shoved by some unknown force and ended up sprawled out on the floor. When the woman regained her footing, 
and attempted to explain what happened, the men laughed in disbelief, joking at her expense. Angry that the men didn't believe her, she went back to the wall and leaned once again. And just as can be expected, she was again sent reeling. But this time, it was straightened to the men in the middle of the room. No one was laughing now. The woman was pale with fear and was convinced that, quote, something was in the wall. So each of the men approached the wall, taking turns leaning against it, and each was shoved away one by one by that unknown force. Sergeant Clifton assured the paper, quote, she was greatly excited and alarmed, and it was some time before we could quiet her. There's the bare brick wall. You can see for yourself how impossible it was for any trick to have been played. The lady had never heard of the ghosts. It's said that later, the sergeant recounted an event from before his time, which may have been an explanation for the strange occurrence that he witnessed. He said there was once a murderer at the jail who had been charged with killing his wife and boiling her body in lie. But while at the jail, he had gotten into a physical altercation with his jailers and was beaten to death in the hallway outside what was now Clifton's office. The man's blood supposedly stained the brick wall in that hallway, and on the other side of it is where people later experienced this forceful shoving. Of course, Sergeant Clifton didn't take much stock in the paranormal explanation. The veteran officer firmly believed that everything that had occurred there had a logical explanation. But eventually, this belief would be tested. One day, Clifton was in his office with a patrolman by the name Corporal Perez. For some reason, their conversation turned to the portrait of General PGT Beauregard that was hanging on the wall. Clifton greatly admired the Confederate general and native New Orleanian, and after saying as much to Perez, he turned to it and saluted the late general. Almost immediately, the portrait fell to the floor with a crash, while at the same time, the nearby washstand with its pitcher and bowl jerked forward and fell over. Remarkably, nothing was broken. But upon examination of the portrait, the heavy cord used to hang it was completely intact, and the nail was still solidly in the wall. Yet no possible natural explanation could be made for how or why these items moved on their own. The following night, Sergeant Clifton told some of the other men about what happened with Perez, even going so far as to once again salute General Beauregard. This time, however, the portrait did not fall. Instead, the mirror that hung below it flew from the wall and crashed into the wooden washstand. Everything once again fell to the floor, but this time, the wash basin was shattered. Upon further inspection, the mirror hanger was found to be just as strong as the one that held the general's portrait. Sergeant Clifton later reported, quote, it seemed as that invisible ears had been listening and that unseen hands pushed the strings from the wall. I know that the portrait in the mirror could not have fallen unaided. A similar incident occurred not long after, this time involving a lithograph of Admiral George Dewey, a naval hero of the time. The Times Democrat reported, quote, Mounted Officer Jules Oquin 
went to the sergeant's room at about 11 o'clock last Wednesday night to make a report. Glued to the wall above the fireplace is a large colored lithograph of Admiral Dewey, and as Oakwin entered, he was surprised beyond measure to see the picture seemingly turning round and round like a wheel. He called to some of the others, but before they could get there, the lithograph was still again. As strange as these events had been up until this point, there were even worse things to come at the old Carrollton jail. One night, as Sergeant Clifton sat working at his desk, he felt someone grab him by the shoulders and spin his chair around. No one was there, and according to the doorman, no one had even entered the building that evening. Then, on another night, the sergeant found himself unable to breathe as bodiless hands wrapped themselves around his throat and squeezed. The policeman threw his arms up in an effort to knock away his attacker there was no one there. Nevertheless, the attack ceased, and although no living person had been in Sergeant Clifton's office with him that night, bruises appeared on his neck and the shapes of fingers. But Clifton wasn't the only one to be the target of unexplainable aggressive behavior. One evening, Officer Dell attempted to take a nap on a sofa in the corner of the sergeant's office. However, as soon as he had stretched out to make himself comfortable, the bulky sofa had jerked, sliding roughly three feet away from the wall before reversing direction and slamming back into it. The Times Democrat said Dell then, quote, sprang to his feet and sought his rest in another part of the building, end quote. But others were also involved in similar occurrences, and one man, was even thrown from the sofa and into the corner of Clifton's desk, causing a deep wound to his head. When the man cried out, the sergeant came running and arrived just in time to see the sofa slide back into place against the wall. After all of these events, the men actively began avoiding the sofa until it was moved from its place on the wall to somewhere considered to be safer. While many of the police officers who served at the Carrollton Jail stated they didn't believe in ghosts, most agreed that the strange things happening there seemed to defy rational explanation. And over time, everyone stationed there expected something unusual in some way, shape, or form, from footsteps and noises to furniture moving on its own, lights turning on and off, and objects moving without cause including iron paperweights that were said to have risen up from desks and flung at nearby officers. Corporal Harry Hyatt described his own experiences hearing the sound of disembodied footsteps in the building, stating that there was something unique about these ghostly sounds, as they seemed to be taken with one solid step followed by another that dragged as though the person walking was lame. In addition, he noticed the corridor had filled with the distinct smell of cigar smoke. So upon experiencing this, Hyatt went straight to the doorman to find out who had just entered the building. Yet no one had, 
Upon hearing the account, the doorman just grinned and responded, maybe it was Harvey come back. Harvey was purportedly a former prisoner of overbearing size who just so happened to walk with a limp. The criminal was a gambler who landed in jail for the murder of two jockeys whose necks he broke with his bare hands for losing a race upon which he had bet. It's also said that he cut out the tongues of their horses. Harvey was last seen standing in the prison corridor, handcuffed with a cold stump of a cigar between his teeth before he seemingly vanished into thin air with a prison escape that left two guards dead and a host of unanswered questions. Upon hearing this story, Hyatt wondered why Harvey would ever return to the prison, but he found out later that evening when he picked up a newspaper and saw a story that Harvey had just died in Pennsylvania. The following night, when Corporal Hyatt heard the footsteps again, he said loudly, quote, Okay, Harvey, you can stop your pacing and smoke your cigar now. As a result, the footsteps stopped and a great cloud of tobacco smoke appeared, swirling in the air before it rose to the ceiling and disappeared. Officer Foster also had unexplained encounters in the jail. One afternoon, he spotted two young women wearing dresses of some sort of, quote, spotted stuff, standing near Sergeant Clifton's desk, seemingly waiting for his return. Foster thought they held themselves very formally, with a somewhat strange stiffness, as they stared straight back at him. So the man rose from his seat to approach them and see if he could be of any assistance. Yet as he walked towards them, they disappeared as if they never existed. Legend would later claim that perhaps these were the ghosts of two women who had been imprisoned there for killing and carving out the liver of their mutual lover. But those weren't the only apparitions that Foster would face. One evening, when all the lights were on in the sergeant's office, Foster saw a man who he recognized standing there, Sergeant Shoemaker, the former commander of the prison. But in reality, Sergeant Shoemaker had died the year before. Foster claimed, quote, the figure I saw was perfectly distinct and solid and was in the full light of an incandescent lamp. His head was slightly bent as if he was in a brown study and he was walking slowly toward the sofa. While I stood there staring at him, he vanished precisely as the two women had vanished. It was like snuffing out a candle. One instant he was there and the next instant he was gone. Night clerk Joseph Crowley also purportedly came face to face with an apparition. One evening while working at his desk, Crowley saw a man who was tall and thin with a dark beard and dressed all in black. Eerily, his skin was so colorless that the officer believed he must be ill. So Crowley rose from his desk to approach him, but the man turned and silently made his way back toward the door. But to Crowley, his movements were far too smooth to be walking. It was as though the man glided above the ground before he vanished completely. 
The night clerk was the only person to see him that evening, and according to the doorman, no one had entered or exited the building. But a few nights later, still nervous about what he had seen, Joseph Crowley told the story to two patrolmen, Edward Harrison and George Schaefe. As the men discussed the apparition, they turned to face the doorway he had disappeared from, and to their shock, they were face to face with him once again. He appeared just as he had before, tall and thin, with a beard dressed in black. His pose remained still and silent, and when the men began to walk toward him, he once again disappeared. Officer George Harrison, a stern man in his 50s at the time, later stated, quote, I don't believe in ghosts. A policeman doesn't deal with supernatural things. But I know I saw that man, and I know I saw him disappear. It was the quickest thing I ever saw happen, and we all saw the same thing. His face was queer like a dead face. Maybe it was a dead face. But if I see that face again in a thousand years, I'll recognize it. While the police officers of the old Carrollton Jail might be the most trustworthy sources for information regarding these numerous hauntings, the prisoners themselves had their own experiences as well. In fact, there was one location where both guards and prisoners desperately wanted to avoid, cell number three. Cell three was believed to be particularly haunted and exceptionally violent towards anyone forced to spend the night incarcerated there. Inmates often reported the feeling of cold hands on their faces at night and experienced blankets being ripped off their bodies and violent assaults by spectral attackers. One such prisoner was Charles Marquez. Marquez was in the old jail for contempt of court, but was otherwise noted as an intelligent man with seemingly no criminal tendencies. Unfortunately, the prison was full that day leaving the guards no other choice but to put Marcus in cell number three. When his cell was open the next morning, he was found lying on the floor, unable to stand and barely able to speak. Marcus had been brutally beaten, his face a mass of cuts and bruises. Sergeant Clifton assumed an officer had been responsible, but when Marcus's injuries were cleaned up and he could be questioned, he claimed he had been beaten by some unknown entity. Over the following decades, numerous other men described similar tales to that of Marcus. Some say that the origin of this violence in cell number three originated in the early years of the old Carrollton jail, when it was so crowded that the officers were forced to place three men, all convicted of murder, in this particular cell. According to the legend, the men violently brawled all night, punching, kicking, and even biting each other. And by the morning, two of them were dead, and the third would pass away not long after from his wounds. The old Carrollton jail was demolished in 1937, less than 40 years after the infamous article was published these stories have nonetheless become cemented into the rich ghost lore of New Orleans. 
we'll explore some of the reasons that we believe this happened, as well as the history of the building itself, after the break. Y'all, I want to take a quick minute to tell you about one of my favorite nonprofit organizations here in Middle Tennessee. It's called Poster Nashville. Now, this organization supports people during times of housing or medical crises by providing compassionate, temporary care for their pets. That's right. Poster helps secure loving homes for beloved little furballs when their human companions are going through things that might otherwise cause them to have to give them up. But since Poster began back in 2020, they've been able to reunite nearly 250 pets with their loving pet parents after they were able to secure housing, keeping families together through tough times. Of course, y'all, I have to say from personal experience, it's been an awesome program to be around. My kids and I have been fortunate enough to hang out with some of the pups. And trust me, what Poster is doing through a devoted network of volunteers is absolutely heartwarming. So if you'd like to help, Poster is in the middle of their annual fundraiser right now, trying to hit a goal of $20,000. And it would mean the world to me if you'd consider helping us get there. All you got to do is visit southerngothicmedia.com slash bark. That's right, southerngothicmedia.com slash bark. What's something you learned in history class that you feel wasn't the whole truth? Better yet, what's something you didn't learn at all that was omitted completely? That's what I like to call redacted history. I believe that all history, no matter how good or bad, needs to be told. There are wars, massacres, battles, and entire historical events that are just not in our school's history books. Have you ever heard of Mary Bowser? I didn't think so. My name is Andre White, the host of the Redacted History Podcast, the place where history's forgotten events, heroes, and villains get their story told one episode at a time. So come huddle around the campfire with me and get ready to hear the stories that you were robbed of. And get comfortable. We're going to be here a while. The Redacted History Podcast. Real history never dies. Stream the Redacted History Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. What makes the hauntings of the old Carrollton Jail so unique is that unlike the vast majority of legends and folklore we've covered over the years, this one doesn't seem to have evolved much over time, but instead has a clear place of origin, the October 21, 1899 article in the Times Democrat. The ability to pinpoint a century-old legend to such a specific instance is rare, but the information included there is also exceedingly unimpeachable, as it's not only a primary source, but it is also taken from the accounts of trustworthy men. It is perhaps for these reasons that the stories continue to be told long after the old Carrollton Jail has continued to exist. The story of these hauntings was later recounted in the iconic book Gumbo Yaya, a 1945 compilation of Louisiana folktales. Of the jail, it states, one of the most fearful of all the legends is that of the ghosts who haunted the old Carrollton jail. 
so many witnesses, among them hard-boiled and exceedingly realistic officers of the law, testified to the eerie happenings that it is almost impossible to doubt that strange things did occur in that establishment. The jail was built when the town of Carrollton took over as the new seat of Jefferson Parish in 1852, replacing a much smaller facility with only four cells. The town's increasing population warranted the change, and a new courthouse and appropriately sized jail were planned. And by 1855, the courthouse that still stands today was completed. Designed by Henry Howard in the Greek Revival style of architecture, the August 4, 1855 issue of the Picayune newspaper declared the site, quote, a beautiful, substantial, and well-built edifice that does great credit to the builders while it is an ornament to the town. But the same could not be said of the jail. Located at the corner of Hampson and Short Streets, just behind the courthouse, the facility was completed one year prior. However, unlike the elegant courthouse, the jail was a bland brick and stucco building, two stories tall with large doorways and heavily barred windows. Quite simply, it was bleak and hideous. In addition to the brick structure, there was an exercise yard and a gallows enclosed in a courtyard. And it is said that within a year, the contrast between the elegant courthouse and the Jefferson Parish prison grew even more apparent as the jail was already beginning to resemble, quote, an old ruin with evident signs of decay. Then, in 1874, the city of New Orleans formally annexed Carrollton away from Jefferson Parish in a political move that gave Orleans Parish more land, a larger population, and more importantly, access to the Carrollton Railroad. So now a part of the city, the jail became formally known as the Ninth Precinct Station. But to locals, it never changed. It always has been, and always will be, the old Carrollton Jail. Unsurprisingly, life as a prisoner there was fraught with danger, no matter what actions resulted in their incarceration. Limited sanitation, paired with an increasing population, meant a greater spread of disease, and the dark depression that the cells brought on made suicide a fairly common occurrence. This was also a time when despite the rule of law, frontier justice was frequently known to happen, whether by an angry mob of public citizens or a violent group of policemen. Perhaps the most well-known tale of this was when an angry mob attacked two men who were said to have assaulted and murdered a young girl. While it's unclear if they had yet been convicted of the heinous crime or were just expected to be, they were strung up in the prison courtyard. A search of newspaper records indicate that this story may be partially accurate, though a slight modification of events that actually occurred. In October of 1868, the New Orleans Republican reported that a black man named Sam Milton was imprisoned at the Carrollton jail for committing, quote, the terrible outrage on a little white girl, end quote, before he killed her, tying her body into a sack 
and threw her remains into the river. After the man's conviction, a mob broke into the prison and shot him and another inmate also convicted of rape. Milton survived the lynching, although another paper reporting the incident, the New Orleans Crescent, noted, quote, it is thought he will not live long, but this comment was clearly intended to say that his death would not be from his injuries, but rather at the hands of another. How Sam Milton fared is unknown. Yet another grisly tale from within the walls of the old Carrollton courthouse is that of the man who murdered his wife and then boiled her in lye. The date of this event is somewhat unclear, but nevertheless, the man's crime was discovered and he was soon arrested. Some say that his attempt to destroy the evidence of the murder was not successful and that some of her remains were found, while others say he was arrested due to the suspicious behavior he began exhibiting from the outset of his wife's disappearance. The man was brought to the Carrollton jail to await his trial, but the trial never happened. The jail's police officers were so disgusted and infuriated by the man's crime against his wife that they pinned him to the wall and proceeded to beat him to death. And it's said that the man used his final breaths to make a promise that those at the jail would regret their actions against him. According to legend, it was after this unlawful death and final promise that the now well-known, unexplainable activity began to occur at the old Carrollton Jail. As we previously mentioned, the legend surrounding the old Carrollton Jail is unique in that its origin can be traced back to a very specific event, the publication of an article in the New Orleans newspaper with a headline, Real ghost story, the old Carrollton jail is said to be haunted. What is additionally noteworthy about this is that many of the stories it includes quote the event as the policeman told it to the writer, sometimes even providing specific dates as to when it is said to have occurred. Also notable is that many of the officers are quoted as saying they don't even believe in ghosts, but had these unexplainable experiences nonetheless. According to Officer Edward Harrison, quote, I don't believe in ghosts. That's all nonsense. And there must be some explanation for these things. Still, I don't know what it is. And the best I can do is state exactly what I witnessed. The fact that it was these hardened police officers telling the tales, men who likely had little to gain from attaching their names to such claims, has lent a good deal more legitimacy to the legend. Sergeant William Clifton, who is featured in many of the stories, was the commander of the 9th Precinct Station in jail in 1899 when the article was published. He was well respected by the men who worked under his command and oversaw a clerk, a deputy, two doormen, and eight patrolmen. And due to his trusted service over many years, Clifton rose to the position around July of 1898, following the death of Sergeant Shoemaker who was mentioned previously, was seen in the sergeant's office a year after his death. Of the eerie occurrences in the jail, Sergeant William Clifton told the paper, I can tell what has happened easily enough, but explain it, I can't. I've been on duty here about a year and a half. 
We've been bothered off and on from the start by strange noises, things falling without apparent cause, and other unaccountable disturbances. Lately, they've grown worse. For these reasons, it is unsurprising that the haunting of the old Carrollton Jail has become a part of the deep folklore of New Orleans. And since the tale's origin is so specific, many of the retellings of the stories have remained largely consistent over the last century. Thus far, the earliest published variations of the events date to the first books of New Orleans folklore and ghost stories. Lyle Saxon's 1945 work, Gumbo Yaya, Folk Tales of Louisiana, and Jean Delavine's 1946 Ghost Stories of Old New Orleans. Naturally, in the name of good storytelling, some embellishments were made, particularly in Ghost Stories of Old New Orleans. These variations are typically attempts to tie a specific person or event to the haunting, yet nowhere in the original article is a specific former prisoner linked to a paranormal occurrence. And all our attempts to locate some of these supposed events in public record, as mentioned in the retellings, have thus far returned nothing. This includes the man who murdered his wife and boiled her in lie, the violent oversized Harvey who killed men with his bare hands, and the three murderers brawling in the jail cell number three. So did these events occur? We may never know. All we do know is that we can't find a record of them anywhere other than in local lore. The Carrollton Courthouse was closed in 1874, following New Orleans' annexation of the town. But the jail remained in operation until 1932. It was eventually shut down because the courthouse had become the site for the McDonough No. 23 school and students' parents did not appreciate their children's proximity to the rowdy and unpleasant prisoners. By 1937, the jail was completely dilapidated, and as a result, it was demolished. But legend claims that when the building came down, human shapes were seen lurking amidst the dust of destruction. As told in Ghosts of Old New Orleans, The shapes hovered and grinned and grimaced, some of them with wry necks and bulging eyeballs, others with twisted backs and knotted legs and bloody holes gaping where the worms had fed, their hideous mouths leering and drooling and their matted hair falling in foul handfuls among the rubbish. Some say those wraith-like figures were the spirits of the long-ago executed as they reveled in finally being granted freedom from the bricks that had so long kept them imprisoned. Others say that in spite of its destruction, the energy of the Carrollton Jail remains, and to this day, it is purported that the spectral sounds of a gallows trap opening can be heard where the old Carrollton Jail once stood. My name is Brandon Schecksneider, and you've been listening to Southern Gothic.
Southern Gothic is an independently produced podcast created by siblings Brianne and Brandon Schecksneider with the support of listeners like you. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to receive even more content, including ad-free episodes, head over to our Patreon page today. The link is in the show notes. Lucky Lady Shacks. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, my name is Matt host of the Pirate History Podcast. Pirates rank among the most mythologized and romanticized of all historical figures. It can become easy to forget that pirates were real people that had real-world concerns. If you like tales of high seas adventure, daring do, and also want to learn more about who Blackbeard supported to be king, you can learn more about all of that at the Pirate History Podcast.